So, it's a nice sunny day. Anybody here think spring's finally here? That it's finally going to stay? Yeah, you think so, Tegan? Good, I hope you're right. The, uh, anybody been out barbecuing yet? You did? Oh, yeah, I guess we did yesterday, or on Friday. We did. Okay, Tegan barbecues, really? Awesome, all right. Okay, so, um, I'm looking forward to a whole summer of barbecuing. Lots of burgers, lots of steaks, lots of hot dogs, whatever it takes. Spend the whole after, you know, the whole summer outside barbecuing. And so uh, I, I thought I'd show you guys a picture of, of what my ideal burger would look like. Doesn't that look good? You guys see that? Doesn't that make your mouth water? Doesn't it make you say, okay, shut up, let's get out of here, let's go barbecue, right? Uh, I, the only thing that I would say I don't really want on that burger is the tomato. I, I like it, but it, I, it makes things soggy. Um, but that's kind of beside the point. Uh, but I would recommend that when you look at this burger, and as good as it looks, I do not recommend that you eat this. If someone was to take this exact burger and hand it to you, do not eat it. Okay? Because there's lots of things that are misleading about this picture. I did a little research because I've, I've heard this kind of thing before where uh, what they kind of do to sell a burger. Like, you guys realize, you know this, when you go, you see an ad on the TV for, like, a McDonald's hamburger or a steak, and when it comes to you, it never looks the same. Right? You guys have seen these great, beautiful pictures. It comes to you, and you're thinking, this isn't exactly what I thought I was getting. Well, here's kind of how they do it. You see all that, that there's kind of like this steam coming off, means it's a hot, right off the grill burger. Well, you know what that is, is probably not the burger, because when you have to keep reheating it, it kind of takes it away. So what they do is they take sponges or cotton balls, and they get them very, very hot, and then they strategically place them behind the burger so it looks like all the steam is coming off of this burger. So it could be a cold burger. Actually, a lot of burgers and steaks that they use are, aren't even really cooked. They'll take a blowtorch, and they'll torch the burger, or they'll, they'll give it this singed look, and then when you, got, you take the, the branding iron and you put it on the steak, and so you get this burnt look to that, and then they take like shoe polish, or they take some other kind of deceptive, yucky something and smear it all over the steak, and so it looks juicy. It, and it's convincing, right? I mean, I've never had a clue that they did that kind of stuff. But it gets better than that. Pictures like this, a lot of them are stacked with layers of cardboard to keep things fluffy, and they use toothpicks to try to keep things up and, and to keep like uh, layers, and so it looks like this really, and you take a bite into that, you're gonna regret that. You're gonna have this raw meat, you're gonna have toothpicks, and then the, if you get a, a hamburger with sesame buns, they'll take, and they'll use tweezers, and they'll take glue, and they'll, someone will spend hours trying to put uh, sesame seeds on the bun. Anybody hungry? Anybody wanna take a bite? Uh, and I was, I was going to show you pictures a little bit. Uh, here you got somebody's painting something on a hamburger, and they're, sque they're squeezing something into the side of it to give you the appearance that you're eating something really yummy. But that's not the only thing that's just so fabulous. Anybody have something like this for breakfast? Pancakes? Yeah? Tegan, man, I like Tegan. He's like on the ball today. Pancakes. Uh, that looks like uh, a really great breakfast, but uh, and the TV commercials, it's not exactly the same. They, what they do is they, they take the pancakes and then they spray them with fabric protector. And then, instead of putting maple syrup on it, because apparently that doesn't look so good on TV, they take motor oil 
and they use that because it's a really the same color, right? Anybody want to eat that? I don't think so. I mean, it looks good, but it's not exactly the case. We'll go healthy. Okay, we got grapes. Grapes, those look like they're good to eat, but you know what they spray those with? Uh, they spray it with uh, hairspray or spray on deodorant. So it gets this nice shiny look. You, you take that and you eat that, and there's something that's misleading about that. We're almost done. Is this the real deal? Would you consider that the real deal, all these things? I want to consider it. They got this appearance. They're awful close. I mean, you got raw meat. It's still meat, but it's still not the same thing. This is the closest one that you could handle is, is a can of pop because you open that thing up and you're going to have this to drink. But And it looks like it came right out of the cooler, right, full of ice, and here you go. But that's not really what it is. It's glycerin. It's this uh, odorless, sweet uh, chemical that they put on it to give this look to it, right? And so it's not really straight out of a can. You can take pictures all day long, and I think it's going to stay there. Anybody? Caleb's birthday is today. We're going to have ice cream. Does anybody think that looks appetizing? Great for a birthday party, right? Uh, but there's something that's not right about this. Because uh, if you ever get ice cream, and you put your topping on it, and sometimes it slides right off, right? So you have this big pile, this big moat of topping around your ice cream. Well, what they do to solve that problem is they put on a paper towel, like a chunk of paper towel, and then you put the sauce on top of it because that sticks to it. And so it looks really good. But who wants to eat that? I don't want to eat that. And I'd say it's got the appearance of being the real deal, but you start digging into this thing, and you're like, what am I eating? Because it's not exactly ice cream over the whole topping. And so today, we're going to be looking at what does it look like to be the real deal as a Christian? Because there's this, there's this point where you can be really, have the outward appearance. You can be very convincing. You can be, uh, have all the bells and whistles and all the time put into it. But in real life, what does that really look like? Am I the real deal or am I just looking like the real deal? So we're going to pray uh, again real quick and ask God that he would help us to see where we are being the real deal and where we might be falling short. So we can always be not an imitation, but the real thing. God, again, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the truth in it, God. And I know it is a struggle to be the real deal. God, there's so many, there's so many struggles in life that are trying to pull us away from living for you. God, there's, there's fear. There's what people think. And God, I just pray that you'd help us to, to see where we're falling short. I know none of these things any of us are going to be saying we're perfect at, but God, please help us to do the best we can and to always be aiming at being the real deal all the time, to be 100% perfect the way you are. I just pray, God, again, that you would give me the words to say as I share this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Again, the idea of the real deal, and then we're going to look at four things that I'm going to call this is what the real deal is. So the first, the real deal lives what he says he believes. So Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. These guys are not the real deal. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have heard in the daylight or what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed from the roof. So Jesus, last week we, we looked at uh, 
Jesus is saying, woe to you Pharisees because you're being hypocrites. And he gives them a whole bunch of reasons of ways that they are not living what they say they believe. They're saying, you do this, but we're not doing this ourselves. And there's a number of things. And the crowds are starting to gather. And while they're coming, Jesus is almost like he's grabbed his disciples. I don't know if it's just his 12 or if it's the people who have been following along saying, I believe what you're saying, Jesus, because they could also be considered disciples. But he says, look, guys, I want you guys to be on guard against these of the Pharisees. All these people who are living a lie, I want you guys to be on your guard so that you're not like them. Because, if, because they do not practice what they preach. And Jesus says, he calls the way they're acting, yeast. Now, I'm not, I don't bake. I've, I've, I've baked a few times, but I know yeast, pretty much what it does is you, you get your dough and you put your yeast in it and you kind of mix it all together. And then all of a sudden, the dough starts to rise and it starts to get bigger, right? I'm not, I'm not lying, right? This is exactly kind of how dough works. And then if you, he's saying, don't be like the Pharisees because just a little bit of yeast affects the whole thing. If, if you disciples start showing or start acting a little hypocritical in this area, it's going to be, oh, you know, you're, you're going to be pulling the wool over people's eyes. It's going to get easier and easier, and as soon it's going to affect everything. If you show hypocrisy in a little bit, it's going to infiltrate your whole body, and you're going to be showing hypocrisy in all sorts of areas. And it's important to live what God's Word says all the time, not just when it's convenient, not just when I like it. In Sunday school, even this morning, and I know I've mentioned before, we were talking about the parts of Scripture that I like and that I naturally agree with and the things that I don't naturally agree with. But I have to submit to the authority whether I like it or not. And the, the idea of what these Pharisees are doing, uh, you can find in 1 Corinthians 15.33, is that bad company corrupts good morals. If the disciples are hanging around with these Pharisees, if they're listening to their teachings, all of a sudden, what they're hearing, they're going to start doing. So it gives you an idea that's very important that we've got to be careful who we're listening to. The guys on the radio, me, the people that we're in contact with, because you start hearing that stuff, and then it starts coming out in our actions. He says, here's two ways. He says, what you do is going to be made known. Disciples, listen. What you do is going to be made known. With the Pharisees, they're, they're living this hypocritical life, and at first, it looks like they're convincing people. They're pulling the wool over people's eyes, and people are persuaded. But you know what? It's really hard to be consistent and hypocritical all at the same time because you, it's like telling a lie and trying to back up this lie, back up this lie, and ultimately, it's going to be found out. The things that they say, that the, the Pharisees are saying, are going to be found out. The same with, with the disciples. If you're saying one thing, but you're not doing it, it's going to eventually be made known. And the same is known with, is, is with us. Now, I, I think about my Uncle John. He was in the hospital, and he had a 90% chance of recovery. And that's what the news that my dad heard. That's what all the brothers and sisters heard. And so guess what he thought was probably going to happen? I'm going to recover. I'm going to go home and be just fine and continue with my lifestyle the way it was. But on Thursday morning, he met his maker. And everything inside his house, everything that was secret or that he did not want anybody to know, guess what? It's all going to be found out. They're going to have to go through his apartment or his house and, and, and get rid of his stuff. Here's his clothes. Here's his magazines. Here's his movies. Here's his books. Everything that was his, his... Whatever he smoked is now, everything is laid bare and that my aunts and uncles can now see 
what was there, even though he had not intended for that to happen. Everything that we say is going to be made known. Now, both of, both of those things, you know, the, I, I, told the, I told my kids even this morning and even at Sunday school that there are things in my life that nobody is ever going to know unless someone comes back from the grave and says, hey, guess what, everybody, Josh did this or Josh said that. Uh, and the things that I say, there's lots of things that I've said that nobody has any idea about. But God knows. You know, uh, in Matthew 12, verse 46, it says we have to give an account for every careless word we have spoken. When I say a word, unless it's recorded, I think it's just going out into the air. It disappears. I don't see dad floating through the air, right? I see nothing. It's all gone. But I'm going to have to give an account. Uh, Hebrews 4.13 says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. And we have to remember that. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Every little thing that I have done, you probably could just fold it all out. Like, here's a timeline of Josh's life, of this is when Josh was born, and this is when Josh stole this, and when Josh said that. And, you, and it's like, if i got to stand before God and say, Ugh, i got to give an account of everything that I did, guess what? I, my my, pre, my uh, earlier years, I'm not looking forward to. You know, as I get older and I say, I'm, I'm going to walk with the Lord closer and closer, it gets better and better, but even that is not perfect. But the real deal lives what he says he believes. The real deal hears God's word and puts it into practice. Not to earn salvation, but because he has salvation. Anybody here saying, I'm uh, afraid to stick out my hand and say I'm the real deal? Because it's hard. At times, I'm acting like the real deal. And at times, I'm like, boy, I don't want anybody to be thinking that I'm the real deal. But it... So that's the first thing. The second thing is the real deer deal fears God over man. The real deal fears God over man because you're going to have to make a choice. Chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. I tell you, my friends, everybody here who's my friend, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You know, fear is, is a natural response. I, I don't know how many people here like to admit what they're afraid of, especially as a boy. You know what? Like, I'm a man. I'm not going to admit what I'm afraid of. But I'll tell you some things that I'm afraid of or that I was afraid of. Uh, I used to be afraid of tubing behind a boat. It scared me because I wasn't strong enough to hang on. And, and now that I get older, I'll taunt the driver because I can hang on. I'm not going to ever ride a Scott, though. <laughs> but I taunt them because I can hold on. I'm no longer afraid. Uh, I used to be afraid. I mean, I'm still afraid of this. I am claustrophobic. That's, that's getting in a small, narrow spot. But uh, when Scott and I were running the wires under the ceiling for... Uh, for the new fiber optic, there's, there's a, a, a beam, or there's a, a little stud wall, and I did not want to tell Scott that I'm too afraid to crawl through that. But I was like, I'm breathing, and I'm barely fitting through. I know I'm going to make it, and I know I'm going to live, but I was afraid, and I did not want to tell him. I used to be afraid of speaking in public, right? I mean, you look at me now and probably think, wow, the guy doesn't look like he has any problems <laughs> speaking in public. 
But it's like, I, I used to be afraid, and I started trying to conquer these things. But that's beside the point. Fear can be a good thing because it can keep you from doing dumb things. Uh, there's this mad barking dog, right? I'm afraid to touch that dog because he's barking. That's probably a good thing. It's a sign to say, don't go touch that dog. Uh, fear can keep you from making a bad financial investment. Like, boy, that just doesn't seem right. I'm kind of afraid. Or, or climbing a tall tree, high heights. Uh, it can be scary, and so fear can be a good thing. So you have two options that we're going to look at for just a moment. You can fear God over man, or you can fear man over God. Now the disciples, they're, they, have this, they have this issue here because they, they know it's, it's easy to fear man over God because John the Baptist, if you remember, he was put in prison for doing what God wanted him to do. And guess what? remember what happened to John the Baptist? Off with his head. Okay, so if you know somebody who was very close to Jesus, did what Jesus wanted him to do, and he lost his life, is that going to make you excited to do what he did? No, because you're thinking the same thing could happen to me. Uh, last week, we, we, we didn't really look at it too much, but they were talking about how the, there was all these prophets in the Old Testament. Some of them were persecuted. Others of them were killed. So they know this is something that actually really happens and so they have this temptation of saying, you know what, men are going to hurt me. They want to be against me. It's going to be painful. But it doesn't just happen back then. It happens now. Uh, if you ever pick up The Voice in the Martyr magazine or a book that I meant to bring up here called Jesus Freaks, it's, it's, a, it's a thick book full of story after story of people who have had to decide on the spot, am I going to fear God and, and give up my life or am I going to fear man and, and deny Jesus? Because you, you really don't have any other options. I'm going to choose God, or I'm going to choose man. And it's very, it's very hard, because man is right here. As I saw him in classes, like Tegan, who's paying attention. He's right here. He can look me in the eye. God, I don't see God. You know, I don't, I don't see him. He's not here in a physical form. It makes it really difficult. And so it's real easy to give God the shaft. We have the choice to do what God wants or do what man wants. It's easy to say, I'll deal with God later because I can't see God. I have to deal with what's right in front of me. Uh, the, the boss who pays my wages, if I, if I say no to what he wants me to do, to say yes to God, like he wants me to do some kind of dishonest deal, uh, it's really hard at that moment because he's looking me in the eyes. He says, Josh, you do this or I'm not paying you. I'm going to fire you. If your teacher uh, wants you, which obviously not here, but I know at, at other schools around America, sometimes they, they try to get their kids to do something that's uh, like follow, uh, practice the Muslim religion. They'll get on their hands and knees and they'll start trying to do this stuff. And if, if it's a, easy, to, easy to fear the teacher because they're the ones who grade your paper. They're the ones who say, pass or fail. You're doing the sixth grade over again or the eighth grade over again. Or you're getting an F when you're trying to get an A so you can go to college. It's easy to fear them. It's real easy to fear the coach who's going to determine who plays and who doesn't play. Your coach says, I want you to do something that's sneaky or against the rules. And it's like, it's hard to go against the coach because he's going to determine if you play. But also, he's right there. He's right there, right in your face. Uh, and so that makes it difficult. It's hard to, it's hard not to fear my friends. It's hard not to fear my parents or the people who give me advice, even if it's ungodly advice. Because I have to live with these people. I have to deal with these people. It's, 
It's, it's a lot more in your face, right? You kind of get what I'm trying to say? It's right now I have to deal with this. And so there's this struggle to not fear man over God. Because you can harm me. You can do something to me right now instead of worrying someday I'm going to have to deal with this. It's on the back shelf and I'll deal with God later. You have to decide now when are you going to deal with it. It's real easy to say I'm going to, or it's real easy to ignore God. Uh, but a real deal says I'm going to follow God right now anyway. It doesn't matter what anybody is going to do to me or anybody thinks. We're supposed to fear God over man. You know, your physical body is temporary. I know we want to hang on to life as long as we possibly can. I'm only 39. Uh, if I can live, hang on until my kids are graduated, okay, I'm, I'm good. It's like that's my only, my only hope is just to live until they're graduated and then they're okay for themselves. Leslie, she can marry some stud, you know, that it doesn't matter. She's okay. I think she'll be fine. But making sure I live that long. So life, I understand. But you know what Jesus is saying? Be afraid of the person who isn't just going to kill you because this is temporary. This wasn't made to last forever. Your soul is what is going to last forever. And that's, uh, be afraid of the one who has the power to throw you into hell. And I know that feels like two bad choices. I'm going to have to suffer now or I'm going to have to suffer later. But ultimately, the better choice is to suffer now. This life is temporary. Eternity is forever. There's no chance of parole. And we choose, God, we choose to fear God, not just because it's the better choice, but God loves us. He doesn't say, I'm going to like strike you dead right now if you don't do this. I'm going to put this fear in you, and I'm going to beat you, and blah, blah, blah. He's, you find here he, he, how much he loves you. He says, um, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Five little birds that don't, that don't really do anything for anything. He cares about them. It says, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Now, I know it's like, ha-ha, we can count the hairs on Josh's head. But I want, I want to think, if I had a zillion hairs or if I had three hairs, what's the point of knowing that? I'm like, what difference does it make to God if, I know how many hair, if he knows how many hairs on my head? What's he going to do with that information? Nothing. But it just shows you how much he loves you that he knows every little detail about you. Even the number of hairs on your head, that doesn't matter to anything. He loves you that much. He cares about even that little, uh, minute little detail. When God created us in Genesis 1, he says he created us in his image to have a relationship with him. He made us to be in fellowship with him. He didn't just say, hey, I, I'm like this. I'm going to make you guys like that and keep you guys always under my thumb. He says, I'm going to make you so that you guys are like me. Um, in Psalms 139, it says, I, he knew us before we were born. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He didn't take parts and throw them together and say, wow, I hope you become something. Every little detail, he says, I'm going to make you special. Uh, he has a plan for us. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, he talks about he has a plan for your life because he loves you. He loves you, and that's why it's important to choose God now. I'm going to choose now. Yeah, it's better for me later, but also now because God loves you. He cares that much about you that he's trying to help persuade you to choose the right choice. Life is going to end anyway. It doesn't matter how much medical conditions or how many things that you can do to extend life is going to end. I want to encourage you, live your life now for Jesus 
and make your life count. Okay, so we've seen the real deal lives what he says he believes. The real deal fears God over man. Now we see in verses 8 through 10, the real deal acknowledges Jesus before men. Verses 8 through 10. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before the Son, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will just be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So you have Jesus telling the disciples, make sure that you're willing to acknowledge me before men. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, you see a few disciples that are brought before all these religious people. And they are, they're given the chance to acknowledge Jesus, to say, hey, we're doing this in Jesus' name, or a chance to shut up and, and walk away and have no other issues. But they were, Jesus says, you guys are, are going to be ready because this is what is going to come. In, in John chapter 12, verse 42, you, you find uh, the opposite. You have those who have uh, acknowledged Jesus, and you have those who, uh, verse 42, it says, Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him, meaning Jesus. But because the Pharisees, of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be thrown out of the synagogue. They had a choice to make. They said, hey, I believe this message. But because they were afraid of what everybody else thought, they said, I'm not saying a word. Because if I do, they're going to boot me out of this place. And it says later on that they love the praise of man more than the, the, the praise of God. And so they would not acknowledge, they wouldn't say in any sort of way that I believe in Jesus, that I know Jesus as my Savior. I have a microphone here. And... Uh, I'm looking for five volunteers, not for sucker, and it could be adults too, to either come up here and say, I believe in Jesus. I've trusted him as my Savior. And guess what you're doing? You're acknowledging him before men. Or if you say, I'm not going to come up there, Josh, you can stand in your seat. As many people who are willing to and who want to, we're just going to practice this. I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I trusted him as my Savior. If you remember when, great, anything along those lines. Okay, I want, I'm looking for at least five volunteers who are willing to come up to do this. Not for a sucker, but to, just to do it. All right, good job. Okay, thank you everybody who's willing to do that. Now a question for everybody who didn't. Uh, why not? Why, why, why didn't you stand up and say, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus as my Savior. Is it because it, it's, it's kind of intimidating? I mean, I realize it's kind of scary to stand up and to say, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. But it says, whoever acknowledges me before men. You know what? Here we are. We are a church family. You know what? I, all I get is goosebumps. I'm excited for everybody who said, stood up and said that. And if we can't do that amongst ourselves where we want to hear each other say this, we're, we're on your side, we're supporting you. How are we going to be able to do that when we get out there? When the world says, I'm going to kill you if you do this. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to fire you. I'm going to reject you if you claim to be a Christian. I hope that you're ready. Because uh, if, you, if, you, if you're going to deny Jesus before men, he's going to deny you before the angels. But if you will acknowledge Jesus before men, guess what? He's going to acknowledge you before the angels that are up in heaven. 
You know, it's, it's important to say it. You know, and I, I believe everybody who said it meant it. But, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, yes, I'm a Christian. You know, and the best way, I'm, I'm sorry, but the best way I can think about this is I'm a Cowboys fan. No, I'm not. I'm not a Cowboys fan. I like the Seahawks or any other team but the Cowboys. But I can say anything, right? I can say that I like the, the Packers, and I can say that I, I kind of like Aaron Rodgers. Not, yeah, Aaron Rodgers. I can say whatever I want. I can say I love you. I can say I hate you. These are just words. But it's, it's important that we do have the ability to say this. But it's also important that we live it out, that we put it into practice. Uh, just think about your own life here for a second, not anybody else's. Uh, if, if, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict a jury that you were truly Christian? Is there enough evidence out there? I don't know if there is or if there's not, because I see you guys here on Sunday. Sometimes I see you at your house, and as far as I know, there probably is. But you guys go out to school. You guys go out to the workplace, to all these places that I don't have any clue. And I'm not the judge or the jury anyway. But think about your own life. If you were put on trial as being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you are then you are obviously living your life to make account that you are obviously acknowledging that you are a follower of Jesus by the things you say and the way that you live your life. And it's not just enough to, con to say the words, because those people who will admit to doing a crime that never did it, they do the research and they find out and say, you know what, this person really did not do this crime. We ought to make sure that we are living this out in our lives. So that, that means when the boss who's trying to get you to be unethical or go against something that your convictions, that God's that's clearly wrong in God's word, you got to say, you know what, I'm going to acknowledge God right now and say, I'm going to say no. And why is that? Because I'm a follower of Jesus, not a follower of man. When your coach, who wants you to play against the rules, you say, I'm going to acknowledge God by saying, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm a follower of Jesus. When your friends give you ungodly advice or ungodly counsel, you say, no, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to do what's probably harder and do what God's word says because I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, the, the opposite, you can uh, acknowledge man before God, but you can also deny him before Jesus. It means to reject, to say no, and you will be disowned before your father in heaven or before the angels up in heaven. Now, this does not mean, this isn't a verse saying you're going to lose your salvation. You, you think about Peter. And uh, when he was uh, denying Jesus three times, this is the exact same words. He called down curses on himself. No, I don't know him. I don't know this man. And he denied him three times. But then ultimately he came back around. And, and Jesus didn't say, okay, Peter, you denied me. That's it. He brought him. He, he reconciled. He made things right. And then Peter ultimately lived his life and he died for the Lord. But that's not a... That's not a okay, well, it's forgivable so I can do it kind of thing, because if you deny him, he's going to deny you. This is, uh, ult this is kind of like the ultimate thing, like where I, I reject Jesus and I stay there. You know, because if you, anybody can say I believe in Jesus, but if you deny him and you never come back to him, then I, I, my personal belief is that if you're saved, you're going to persevere to the end, because the Bible says those who persevere to the end will be saved. But that means those who don't persevere to the end won't be saved, right? Very logical. But I believe that if you are truly saved, you will persevere to the end. 
This is not the unforgivable sin because you find out that in verse 10, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So if you have ever denied Jesus as your Savior, if you say, no, I don't believe it, or you're not living it out, it's not unforgivable. The unforgivable sin is to give credit to the devil for something that God did. So if, if you have done it, don't say it's too late for me. Keep trusting him and start living for him right now. The gift of salvation is for eternity. First uh, John 5.13 talks about how, let me look that up. Oh, I don't want to butcher it. First John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John 10, 27 to 29 talks about there's no one, uh, no one can snatch uh, God's sheep out of, of Jesus' hand or out of God's hands because he's, he's got that, uh, that kind of grip on him and you can't even snatch yourself out of God's hand. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that they may... For God so loved the world that gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's for eternity, which when you think about, I'm not denying Jesus, I'm getting eternal life. He loves me. He's giving me eternal life. The real deal, number four, the real deal has God's help in answering men. Because I know, when you're, when you're supposed to be put in a position where i got to answer this to, to a man, for why am I doing this, or why am I going to keep choosing what God wants, it can be very difficult. Uh, verse 11 and 12, it says, When you are brought before the synagogue rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you're going to defend yourselves or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Now, uh, the disciples in Acts chapter 4, they found themselves in that exact situation. I want to know, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but think in your mind, this is me or this is not me. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Anybody say, I am unschooled in the things of the Bible? Anybody say, I'm an ordinary person, right? That's most of us, right? We can say, I'm, I'm nothing special. I mean, I might know more than the next person, but I don't feel like I know everything that I should. I'm just an ordinary person, and, and the Holy Spirit gave these guys the words that they needed to say. And, and it, it could come down to it where you are in a position where you think, i got to say something. i got to start letting the wheels turn to figure it out. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Or the Holy Spirit will keep you silent because he does not want you to say anything. I know Steve and I have talked about this a few times where I've been at the pulpit or, or teaching a class, and all of a sudden things start coming out of my mouth that I feel like I'm a third person. God's speaking it right through me, and I'm just listening. And it's like, that. I did not intend to say that. I'm impressed by it. I'm like, I'm in awe that this is coming out of my mouth because I don't know, I mean, it's obviously coming from God. I've had it here, and I remember one time telling this little kid about Jesus on a mission trip. It's like, I just wish I could just sit there and watch. I felt like that's what I was doing. I was just sitting there watching a conversation take place. And it just, that's why I know it happens. It happens here. It can happen out in the world and everywhere. God can use you to say what he wants you to say. But that doesn't mean we don't, we just rely on the Holy Spirit and go with that. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that you have. You know, there's, there's, this Bible is an instruction book. It's a book that's meant to be read. It's a book that's meant to be 
memorized and studied and drug around and marked up and just devoured over and over and over. A lot of times how God speaks to us is through his Bible. And when you're out there having to defend your faith or, or why you're making a decision, you don't have to say, I don't know. God says, hey, Josh, I want to speak to you, and I'm going to use what you have read. That's why I gave it to you. So I would suggest that you fill your head full of this as much as you can, and God will use that to help you defend why you believe and how to live it out. So let me ask you, we saw kind of today what the real deal looks like. Uh, we saw that they, they live what they say they believe. The real deal fears God over man. The real deal acknowledges Jesus before men, and the real deal has God's help in answering, uh, in, in answering men when he has a, a defense that he has to make. Do you look at yourself and say, I'm the real deal? I know you look and you say, well, I'm not perfect. And I'm not expecting any more than I'm expecting myself to be the perfect real deal. But do you look at yourself and say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of gaining on some ground here. I'm trying to be the real deal because your goal is to become the ultimate real deal just like Jesus. Uh, I know it's, it's, a, it's a big, heavy road, tough road to travel. And, you know, you guys can fool me. I'm just Josh. But that's not your goal. Your goal isn't to fool me. I mean, that hamburger fools me every time I see it on the TV. Or if, if I see, I, I look at those pictures of the ice cream, I look at that and I'm fooled. And that's their goal is to fool me. But that's not your goal. You guys look around at each other. I got my spouse or I got my kids or I got my parents or my grandkids, whatever. Your goal is not to fool each other. Great, you did, but that doesn't matter. Your goal can't be to fool God because you can't fool God. Your whole life is going to be laid bare right before him. And if you look and say, you know what, I'm not the real deal. You know what, you say either A, I'm not saved. You can become, start to, uh, the steps towards becoming the real deal by just admitting to Jesus that I'm a sinner who needs a savior. He will help you be the real deal. If you say, you know what, I'm not really measuring up. I look at these and I'm like, I'm falling flat on all four accounts. That's okay too. Today is a new day. Ask God for forgiveness. And then start from this point on to make it your goal to be the real deal. Fear God over man. Say, I'm going to choose to do what God wants. I'm going to understand his word. I'm going to put it into practice. People are going to know that I'm a Christian. And I'm going to count on the fact that God is going to help me. So real deal, great. Not the real deal, that's okay as long as you're willing to become the real deal. The real deal isn't perfect, but the real deal keeps trying and trying until ultimately when you get to heaven and you become perfect. If you, if you would like to talk about trusting Jesus as your Savior, I'd love to talk with you. If you say, hey, you know what, I'd like some encouragement or some prayer about becoming more of the real deal, I'd like to talk with you about that too because we all need help to become more like the real deal. So I'm just going to pray and ask God uh, that he would help us each to be the real deal and show us where we're lacking. God, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for the people in here, God, who, from the parents that I see, God, are people who love you. God, who people who show up to worship you on Sunday, they try to take your words and they try to put them into practice. God, I, I, again, I thank you for those who are willing to stand up to say, I'm a Christian, that I believe in you. I pray that you bless them with, because they had the courage to do that. I pray that each of us, God, as we walk out the doors of this church, that you would motivate, encourage, and inspire us to be the real deal, God, because we need your help. We're not perfect, but God, you didn't give up on us, and you showed us that you loved us, 
even by knowing some little fact about the hairs on our head. And if you know that, God, I know you know the rest of us more intimately. We praise you, God, and we love you, but we need your help to be the real deal. And I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.